morning, my friends, and welcome back to the Swiss Pod, where IT leaders share the insight with all leaders and others that want to lead. My name is Carlos Vargas, and I sing every week. Uh, oh, wait, 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 wait. What happened, Paul? Well, I'm still here. <laughs> we have a brand new guest, Paul. Yes, uh, Mr. Holton couldn't be with us today, so we're going to do a two-parter. And to fill his shoes is my very best friend, Gowrie. She is uh, she is head of our analytics offering team uh, at Pythian, and she has a whole bunch of interesting insights, not just within Pythian, but throughout her entire career. And the topic today being about being a new executive, and Gowrie is newer than I am at Pythian. So we can talk <laughs> about what it meant to start as an executive and what she was going through, and we can add our two cents, and here we are. Wow, what awesome. an introduction. Thank you, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so yeah, uh, new executive at Pythian. I've uh, been with Pythian for now, I think it says on my LinkedIn profile, nine months. It might have clicked over to 10 months. So nice. very excited to, to be with, uh, with Pythian and talk about my experience for sure and my career overall. Perfect. So Paul, something before we start into the topic, we need to let our audience know our brand new website is up. So we have been working hard to get everything. And Paul disappeared. I, I had to change the look at this. Paul is now <laughs> under his image. <laughs> I'm right have, there. You can see me. There we go. And that that we way go. look better. Um, so we have our new website. Go to the sweetspot.co where you can see all our episodes you can see then join our newsletter we're adding additional content that we have created across the years we actually i was looking paul we have created over i think close to 80 to 90 hours wow of actual technical wow. leadership content that never before was available Wow, never before seen footage. Look at this. Yeah, so authored footage. That's pretty good. Nice. Good. So one of the cool things that we know the topic, but we always try to jump into it. And I'm thinking like a new executive plan. I'm like, I was looking, I'm like, because like what is truly an executive plan? Because we have audiences or people in our audience that are brand new that they just got into being an executive or a technical leadership position. Others may have been in their position for a long time, but they probably were not probably doing a lot of planning because they were doing the same thing that was done before. And they were just handed something, Hey, follow this. And they were like, okay, I'm, I'm new. I don't know what to do. So can we start there? What is an executive plan? Yeah, that's a good question. I was thinking about this as Howard introduced the topic a couple of days ago. And I was less sure whether he meant I've just become an executive, right? I've gone from a senior director to a VP, or I've just started as an executive at a new company. And I have to think my 30, 60, 90 plan is different either way. But let's try to tackle both of those topics. So, so Gowry. Let's tackle the easier one first, I think. Uh, you're, start, you're, you're an existing executive as you have been for several years and you've joined Pythian as an executive. 
what were your first thoughts? Like, don't worry about your, your plan, but what, what was the first thing you did on the first day? And then we'll start to go from there. First day or, you know, first few months. First. I think let's talk, let's talk about the first few months. So I think the okay. first 30 days um, definitely was a orientation to what the organization was trying to achieve and understand the goals and objectives around um, what we had articulated as our strategy already. Um, so understanding that was important because then uh, really filling that in with gaps or my experience as to, you know, is this direction um, good and how can I contribute to it? Or if I see um, certain areas that we can improve on and add uh, and kind of spitball ideas on uh, changing a little bit, right? So, so how we can kind of have that conversation on change um, and tackling that was really understanding the culture of the organization as well. Um, so, you know, some, some organizations are open, they're wide open with, Hey, you know, let's, let's change our strategy. Let's look at it. Let's revisit it. And some organizations kind of build up a concrete plan over, you know, kind of the later part of the prior year into the next, um, and they stick to it, right. Uh, they do revisit it from, you know, shifts in external forces, um, but really stick to that strategy because they don't want to deviate it. Lots of other things are happening around that strategy and they don't want to um, orient away from it. Um, and, you know, understanding that level of organizational openness to uh, strategizing is very important in the first 60 days into the, the uh, like from the 30 to 60. Um, and then contributing to that strategy and what works within the organization uh, over the 90 uh, and later part of uh, your starting point is important as well, right? So what, what kind of um, messaging will resonate with the team and how and figuring that out, I think, is the next part of, um, you know, that start time frame. So understanding the organization, understanding the strategy and how to influence it, I think definitely is a purview that a leader needs to, to acknowledge and then kind of start to influence as they, as they progress. Do you think you're prescriptive? In other words, do you use the same kind of process every time or are you much more adaptive where, you know, you get a sense in the first couple of weeks and then from there your plan evolves over the next 90 days. And, and I say that because I'm very, very prescriptive, which is not shocking to Carlos. Yeah, I think I, we have to. I have a 30, you know, 60, 90 in my head and I use it every single time. But I, is, is that your approach or are you much more, you'll wait and see what the current situation looks like first? I am open. I am, you know, I have uh, experience kind of um, uh, place as well. Like I have templates and things that I kind of gravitate to approaches, frameworks that I, I have seen work in the past that I, and have worked for me that I, I try to use in the in the organizations. But I also listen. Right. Like I think it's very important to see how the organization works, what their orientation is, what the current leadership's level uh, of um, receptiveness is to different approaches as well. 
um, and the builtness of those approaches. Some leaders want you to build out something uh, as a proof of concept and go with it. And some want to be involved in the build, right? So the, the that kind of uh, approach of, you know, feeling it out, seeing how, how various leaders within the organization like to work is important. And then, and then kind of leveraging um, the toolkit of things that you've worked with in, in the past is uh, also um, important to kind of put in place at that point. I'm thinking you share Howard's perspective. He's normally pretty ad adaptive versus prescriptive, but mm -hmm. but I'll describe my my prescriptive methodology here. It's less about documents, templates. It's much more about the kind of information that I think is valuable in the points of time. So the first 30 days for me is is both a combination of uh, listening to listening to the culture, like listening to how people are interacting with each other, listening how the 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 individuals are interacting with the executives and so on and so forth. It's also getting a much deeper understanding of the business model. So I kind of balance what I hear and how people work with how the business actually makes money, how it actually spends money, how it um, how it uh, perceives its customers, how it perceives its stakeholders, how what it believes its value proposition is. In fact, one of the goals of the first 30 days for me is is the elevator pitch, right? Can I perfect the 30 seconds, right? When somebody asks me what I do and who I work for, do I have the four or five, six sentences to make that happen? That's kind of the first 30 days for me. So both the informal org chart, the, the, the formal org chart, the communication paths, how the business works, and then finally the elevator pitch. That's kind of the first 30 days. The next 30 days for me is, again, just as prescriptive, but it's much more about maturity. So I try to get a sense of process maturity, of product maturity, of intellectual property maturity, of capability maturity, just to get a sense of where we are, where we have been, what's the history, tell me the story of, you know, the current product or offering set, tell me the story. And where we think we should be, but why? It was true. And then finally, the next 30 days is taking how I now appreciate how the culture works and the communication, where I see the maturity and start to draw out or uh, straw man what I think the future might look like. Like what's the next three years look like? What's sort of the future roadmap of that? And it's not a product roadmap per se, unless I'm leading a product organization, but it might just be an organization roadmap, right? To say, here are some gaps and overlaps that we think we should address. Here's some maturity that we think we could gain. Here's some other things that I might be able to bring to the table in terms of skill set or people that know, all those kind of things. And put that in a document, right? Some sort of strategy document. It might be a 10-pager, it might be a 50-pager, depending on the role of responsibility. But that's that's kind of the three three things I try to do in that order. Does that resonate or is that too prescriptive for you? Is that too much of a box? <laughs> no, that totally makes sense. Um, you know, that that approach of hearing what the culture is and then aligning to it definitely is something that makes sense uh, from my perspective. Culture is very important um, and going from large firm mentality where you know everything is kind of done very um building block and research driven 
Um, and like smaller organizations, I think there is a little bit more anecdotal type, um, hey, this is the direction we go in because I feel that way. <laughs> or my experience lends itself to go in this direction um, versus the very R&D focused, uh, you know, we've done all this research, we are, you know, kind of continually researching and feed, feedback looping into that research. And here's our decision based on we're presenting kind of options to the leadership based on that R&D. Um, and then they select it in a very informed way. Um, and that that's a hard machine to get going in organizations that that either, you know, have it um, partially or you know, have that very directive type approach uh, from leadership um, and experience, experiential approach from leadership. Um, R&D is, 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 you know, good when it's working. I think the level of R&D to build that up to a level where um, an organization can trust it as an arm to inform uh, the direction and strategy um uh for leaderships to lean on and then you know kind of have that gut feeling or that experience experiential um weight to put on those decisions um growing it to a level where it's trustable is uh, a, a task in itself right and leadership have to invest in in r d to be a focal point to support their decisions um, and that, I think, is also a recommendation that we try to pepper in there throughout the, the first 90 days to kind of say, OK, you know, if we, we're not seeing it, let's kind of get it going. Um, and if uh, if we are kind of uh, needing that in a very fast changing landscape with economic influences, COVID, et cetera, technology shifts, like you see all these data science um, organizations popping up out of the blue, like there were like 10, 10 years ago, and now there's hundreds of data science organizations, right? So um, that type of landscape shift really does need an R&D level of uh, research to inform decisions. You can't be anecdotal at that point. So, so what's, what's easier or better or your, um, your, your, what you believe is better for you, a large organization being an executive in a very niche topic, i.e. you're the vice president of this particular products marketing team or vice president of an offering solution that effectively creates a P&L ownership over everything. It's not just the product marketing aspect, but it's now the PL and it's the roadmap and it's the delivery and it's the revenue and it's the sales <laughs> experience and it's all those things. So like what's what's good, bad, or indifferent for you on those two sides? Good question, Paul. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, you know, it's a little bit more controlled and and process driven when when it's uh it's a very department level, uh, very vertical level type um, uh, organization that you manage or service that you manage. When it is very um, horizontal uh, and you have a lot to kind of examine to then arrive at a strategy, uh, it's more interesting, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, and you've got more kind of control, you've got creative input into 
where you want to take things. Uh, and, and that's the exciting part of things. But you do have to build up. You have to build up the capabilities in a fashion that you're then comfortable enough to make those decisions align with various various stakeholders that aren't thinking that way to then shift them in that direction. Um, whereas when you're very uh, departmental, you kind of have that control uh, a little bit more to organize and, and kind of achieve very specific outcomes. So it's a specificity of the, the services that you're um, looking after. Um, is good in a in a kind of vertical setup. And then if you're looking at a broader suite, it's the creativity, the ability to kind of influence broader organizational direction is great when it's broader. And you're sure. exercising different skill sets, right? So when you're the VP of a specific product, just the product marketing aspect of it, you're honing your product marketing skills, right? You're getting deep and dirty and detailed on a very specific go-to-market, even if the audience is, you know, measured in billion-dollar revenues, right? It's very specific to a trade versus, you know, being a, a general manager in many ways of the product and a smaller organization, you now have to exercise not a detailed product knowledge, but a very different sort of set of, of stakeholders, right? It's not just the actual clientele, but it's sales and marketing and delivery and CIO team and all those, the R&D team, it's a very sort of, it's a, it's a highly negotiated position versus a highly detailed, skilled, single skilled, you know, position. Yeah, it's more, it's fun. It's more fun to, to kind of um, be in that space because you kind of see the top to bottom of the organization uh, and kind of left to right as well. So you see the whole kind of ecosystem of what's happening and you prioritize based on that, which is really good. And I think you do maybe lose a little bit of that when you're vertical, you're very focused on the vertical, you don't see the whole picture. Um, so it's, it's definitely a more broader purview that you have when you're in in that type of role and i enjoy this aspect of it um it's just fun to have the conversations with various stakeholders at different levels right um but usually uh you know when you get into conversations around strategy and you know this is the reason why we need to move in this direction people are very open there is a openness because they kind of they see um, it, it's backed up with, you know, there's a lot of folks in the market doing this. It's successful. Um, and this is the reason why we need to go in this direction, right? So it's not kind of um, that gut feel. It is kind of backed up by research and you're influencing with a lot of, with a lot of um, um, research and and uh, and knowledge base to, to influence, right? So, so I think in that vein, pulling the organization up uh, uh, in that direction, um, you're allowed to do that with with a broader kind of mandate. Yeah. Plus, I find in the bigger organizations with a very discrete mandate, while you might have more we'll call it spending opportunity, right? You have more money to spend and likely a bigger team to support that. You're put mm -hmm. in a box, right? You probably won't get an audience with the CEO. Whereas in a much smaller organization, you, in fact, you get many audiences with the CEO when you need to, right? 
And when you get an audience with the CEO, you have a much better appreciation for what the business plan is, what the business plan will be, what our organic and inorganic plans might look like, whereas you wouldn't necessarily have any of that information in a much bigger organization. You're much more focused on the success or failure of the individual product in front of you. And yes, yeah. you, you know, going from VP to SVP effectively gives you a single product to a product line or a product platform. But again, it's still pretty pigeonholed to the work you're doing in that particular area, which is interesting. Which would suggest back to the back to the point of the pod here is does the 30, 60, 90 day plan for a bigger niche role versus a smaller organization with a broad mandate, are those plans different? Yeah, I think definitely. But, you know, we've all seen kind of the cascade cascading strategy, right? We've got the strategic goals from an organization level cascade to every department um, and is governed by that overall strategy. And it really does speak to the importance of setting direction organizationally. Um, and the importance of setting that direction, right? So whether it's a small organization or larger organization, the strategy and direction setting then uh, influences that departmental activity that everyone's gonna work towards, arrowhead towards, um, and try to achieve, right? So that or that department has that level of purview. They, you know, may not influence strategy as much, but they're working towards that that um, level of strategy. And then when you're setting um, kind of the strategy within the organization, um, it's exciting, and, and it's also kind of um, the onus is on you to do that uh, that level of research, having that comfort um, to then direct the organization in uh, a direction that they're set for for the foreseeable future, right? So um, yes, it's, you know, kind of exciting to play in that area. At the same time, working within a strategy is in a way comforting, but if you're not aligned to the strategy, if you think something has to change, I think there has to be that feedback loop. Right. Um, and if that organization doesn't have the ability to integrate feedback from their various departments, um, that might be something that is uh, is a shortfall or something that we recommend that they they integrate. Right. Because that way you get the input from the various um, lines of businesses that are following strategy, but um, may have feedback on how to do things better. That, that and there's big boulders to move, right? In a big organization, especially an existing big organization, there's already a roadmap, right? They, probably, they might already know two years in advance what those features look like. And that's very hard ship to turn, right? You can't just introduce new strategy in a world that they've already predetermined what the investment is, which leads me to my next question. So we talked about the difference in the plan between big, big and small, but is there also a difference in plan between existing and new? So if you're walking into an existing role, you're replacing some other executive as compared to walking into a newly found role that has, in effect, no mandate. You're just creating from scratch this mandate. And the previous role Carlos and I did effectively was that we were the pioneers of this particular enterprise. How is that different? What What's the distinct difference between a 30, 60, 90 walking into somebody else's shoes versus you're exploring on your own. 
Oh, I think, yeah, you do need to be a little prescriptive when you're when you're starting something because there, it's, there, it's like a, a vacuum, right? Like there's nothing there right now and you do need to set some direction immediately. Um, so, you know, there's a starting point, a starting point to then kind of hack at and kind of, um, you know, uh, shape together, go forward. But you do need a position that you're going to be starting with. Uh, whereas if somebody's done something in the past, yes, you do need to examine what's there, how many, you know, kind of wheels have been churned from that point onwards in the organization, what's being worked on. You don't want to be um, kind of disrespective of the strategy that's ongoing, uh, but at the same time, you do want to something didn't work. Uh, that's why the person left or, you know, maybe they've moved on to bigger and better things. Um, you want to kind of examine it from that lens and make the right um, adjustments to to move in a strategic direction that makes sense. Um, so yeah, prescriptive, I think, has its place for sure. <laughs> and uh, I think, you know, when you're, when you're looking at shifting strategy that's already there, it's very important to kind of um, examine it and evaluate what has worked and, and you know, not throwing everything away, the baby with the bathwater. I hate that that kind of analogy, but I'm using it. <laughs> um, yeah, so th there's that. My, pers my prescriptive approach probably is the same for either. However, my preference is pioneering, right? My preference is to start anew. Uh, because then all the ideas are on the table, right? I, I'm not, I'm not handcuffed in many way by past decisions, or I don't have a whole bunch of roadblocks or big rocks that I have to deal with, which is kind of amazing. Now, uh, success or failure becomes much more difficult, right? It's quite possible you'll fail more often when you're in a pioneering world, and therefore is significantly more risk as compared to stepping into another role. However, in many ways, it feels more exciting. And that the 90 day part of the prescriptive part of what I do is that sort of strategy deck in a pioneering sense, that's a hundred page deck, right? Because effectively I have to define an entire market, an entire go to market, an entire product strategy, an entire org chart, an entire org model. And that becomes far more complex, right? You require far more people to support that, which is why the very first thing I do, even in the first 90 days, is hire the second in command, right? Hire the person that you're going to need as your, as as a strategy creator with you, who might eventually take on the operations role, right? The COO role of this particular organization, and they can start the activity of hiring the staff while you are starting to uh, communicate the strategy, right? You're looking for the money, you're looking for buy-in from executives, looking you're looking for the next step. In the last couple of minutes, let's go back way back to the original premise and say, <laughs> we took the tact in the last half hour to say, well, um, let's talk about um, moving into an executive role, having been a past executive, but let's take the perspective of moving from a non-executive to an executive. And then what are the first things I need to think about as I jump into being executive for the first time? Any thoughts? Yeah, I think when I, you know, that was a while ago um, <laughs> when I experienced that. But yeah, I think it was, uh, you know, aligning with the culture again um, and then defining your footprint as a executive and, and how your your modus operandi would be, right? Whether you're going to be that person who comes up with a, a blueprint for 
um, what we are going to do in the service line and your ideas, your thought leadership. Um, or if you're going to integrate with a strategic direction and how you would um, bubble into that. So I think the new leadership role is, um, again, a little bit of that vacuum versus, you know, was that service there before and is there a strategy there before and you would implement uh, the appropriate um, style uh, in conjunction with uh, with um, with what's there. Right. Certainly, it's been long since I started into that executive role. However, <laughs> I, I do have conversations with lots of newly formed executives, especially ones who you know want to be a CTO in the future, right? and they want to talk about what that progression looks like. The one advice I always give right at the gate is um, is thinking about who your first team is, right? Up into from from junior manager to senior director, your first team tends to be the people to which report to you. Right? You're focused on delivering value in a very niche way for your particular team because you have a deliverable to meet for your team. Moving to an executive changes the definition of your first team from your team to your peers. So as soon as you're executive, it's not about the success of your team, but it's the success of the organization by how you're influencing and providing value to the rest of your peers. Right. That's a pretty substantial shift. It's not easy to do. It's not a flip of the coin. It's not a, a month's worth of effort. It might take years for you to progress to that. But that is pretty big substantial difference between, you know, the manager and the executive. What do you think about that? Does that, does that resonate? Love it. Totally. Totally. And setting the tone, right? Whether you're going to empower the team, whether you're going to be somebody who's not so collaborative, right? So I think setting the tone for the team and empowering the team so important when you move into leadership roles as well, uh, whether it's that new or, or something that you're stepping into um, and building that trust with the team and allowing them to flourish as well. So I think that's that's a great note to end on, <laughs> uh, if you agree. Carlos, that was a solid 30 minutes. That was solid 30 minutes. Um... I'm going to do a full transcription. There's a lot of gold nuggets, and I know that the audience uh, will want to get the transcription. Uh, it's interesting because always you think that the team is technically who's probably under you if you're leading. But like you said, when you get to a certain level, it's not just you alone. It's how you really impact the whole organization because if you succeed alone and you don't help anyone else everybody else is going to be upset with you so i think that that's a great point to finish this part one make sure that you tune in next week when we go into part two of this new executive plan 30 90 60 podcast so my friends or even a different order Time travel. Make sure you subscribe and we'll see you on our next episode.